You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Now, over the last four weeks, uh, we've been walking through this series called Becoming Like Jesus. And as we've been walking through this, uh, we've been talking about uh, things that Jesus teaches that when we put them into practice in our own lives, uh, we recognize are actually really countercultural. Like, I don't know if you've read the Bible, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but a lot of what Jesus teaches is remarkably countercultural, like goes against the flow. Uh, it's not always the logical things or the things that everyone else is doing. Uh, Jesus usually challenges us uh, to do the things that stretch us, that can sometimes make us really uncomfortable and can sometimes be the things that are the polar opposite of what everybody around us is doing. And, and while we've been talking about becoming like Jesus over these last four weeks, we've actually been talking about our values as a church. Because our values as a church really are defined by the things that we can do to become more like Jesus. So at the beginning of March, we talked about Jesus and his father and, and, how, how, uh, and the idea that how you start shows what you value most, which is our value here at the church uh, of start, that how you start shows uh, ultimately how you start. Uh, we start by seeking God through his word and his spirit. It's that value. Or, or uh, the next week we talked about Jesus and his friends and how we are called to invite others to the table to experience connection and grace. This is our value of grow. That ultimately, we grow best in the context of relationships, that through relationships. You see this happening through what Heather just mentioned. Everything that's happening is through the context of relationship. It wasn't just some program that we draw. It's just relationship. In uh, the week after that, following, we talked about Jesus and his team and that we accomplish more than me's. And this is our value of move, that we move forward together in teams. Last week, Rosemary just did a, a remarkable job uh, sharing a message uh, that was entitled Jesus and the Outcasts and how it's not about who's in the seat, it's about who's washing the feet. This is our value as a church, that we engage our local and global community to transform our world. This is, this is a challenge. This is part of what we're doing with shelters. This is, fits our value because we want to engage our world locally and globally. And here we are today. We're going to be talking about Jesus and money, our value of invest, that we invest ultimately, we invest what we've been given. God has called us to be uh, those who are generous with what you're doing, what, we're, what God's given us. Uh, now, I, I know um, money is probably the last thing that anyone wants to talk about. You know, we're always told in society there are two things that you should never talk about with other people, God and money. So I thought, why not tackle both at the same time? Uh, let's just dive in uh, head first, Okay. Uh, you might be uncomfortable, but just stick with me. You're going to learn something, hopefully, that uh, impacts your life today. It's not going to be uncomfortable. I'm not going to be receiving an offering. We're not going to be, you know, sending people with uh, uh, shame to, to shame you into giving something or anything like that. That's not what we're here for. Um, uh, on, on that note, uh, kind of this idea of, of, uh, of money, I want to I share with you something that uh, I think is so important. And it's something I call the theology of a $10 bill. The theology of a $10 bill. Now, what's the theology of a $10 bill, you ask? Let me, let me explain. Uh, this bill, three years ago, 
could get you a lot more than it does today, right? Uh, its power in society has been diminished a little bit. Uh, if you go back like 30, 40, 50 years, it could give you even more. And this might sound really crazy for some of you. There was actually a time in history where people who are in this room were alive where you could take this $10 bill, you could fill up your tank with gas, purchase a snack and a bottle of pop, and still have money left to put in your pocket. I know it sounds outrageous, and I'm talking like from a different universe, but there are people who are alive right now that remember that time, and they're not that old, okay? Isn't this crazy? $10 doesn't get what it used to be. Now, as human beings, our natural reaction to a situation like what we're in is to protect, hoard, and be careful with the $10 bills we do have. The thought is, if what we have is worth less today, then we need to protect what we have so that we can have more later. Now, that makes a lot of logical sense. And this leads me to the theology of a $10 bill. While we are concerned about the worth of our money and our stuff, God is more concerned about its weight. And this is the idea, that God views money not by its worth, but by its weight. You know, it's a natural approach to view money based on its worth. After all, when it's worth more, we can buy more stuff with it. When it's worth less, we get less stuff with it. This is how money has been viewed for thousands of years. But the weight of money is an entirely different thing. And I'm not talking about how heavy the money is. I'm talking about how much space it takes up in your mind and in your heart. You see, when we view money simply based on its worth, we end up with what's called a scarcity mindset. It's a mindset that says, the $10 I have, I need to protect it at all costs. If I don't make the most of this $10, I could lose it and have nothing to show for it. It's because our focus is on its worth. It's basic math. 10 minus 10 equals zero. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that. After all, when what I have is not in my hands, I have nothing left, right? And money has been this cultural symbol of success for thousands and thousands of years of human existence. It's that one picture of success that is sustained through every culture, every generation, every part of the world, but just because it's sustained doesn't necessarily mean it's the right symbol. You see, money isn't our goal, but how we view money really is a gauge. It's a gauge to our heart. In fact, Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He said, for where your treasure is, can you say where? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What does that mean? That your heart follows this stuff. Where it goes, your heart goes. If you're putting all your money into your stuff, your heart goes with it. Whatever, where, where your treasure goes, your heart follows. Interestingly enough, Jesus in his time, his ministry that we see outlined in the Gospels, which are the first four books of the New Testament, the second part of the Bible, you see Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, oh, Jesus talked a lot about money in the Gospels, but, but it's not in the way you'd think he talked about money. You know, if you watch TV evangelists, you might get the thought that all the Bible talks about is giving more money to 
to, to God or to the church or to missionaries, and that's all that it's about. But, but while Jesus shared about money in 11 of his 39 parables, if you actually dig into those parables, the large majority of them, uh, in, the, in the large majority of them, Jesus uses money simply as an illustration about a bigger character issue. And, and, and while Jesus definitely talked about stewarding resources and, and money that we've been given, the bulk of his teaching isn't about how you use money, but how you view money. Because this is, this is true. It's not about how much money you have. It's about how much money has you. In one of the numerous times the religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus with their words, Jesus explained this really countercultural view of money. And, and this story is so funny to me because the religious leaders were trying to trick Jesus. And he was the wisest, most intelligent human being to walk the face of the earth. He wasn't just, you know, this spiritual figure that had like this glow over his head. He didn't have a glow over his head. That's just for the pictures. But um, they photoshopped that later in uh, the first century. But uh, they tried to trick him and Jesus tricks them in his, their words. Here's what it says. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. Uh, Then the Pharisees, who were some of the religious leaders, went out and laid plans to trap him, speaking of Jesus, in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. They were probably biting their tongues as they said this. They were complimenting Jesus. They hated him. They're buttering him up. Have you ever had someone do that? Like, they butter you up just to, like, punch you in the face? This is what they're, they're, they're buttering you up. Like, you're a smart man. You're a wonderful man. You know, people listen to you. You're an awesome teacher, all of this. And here's where they punch him in the face. Um, he, he, they said, uh, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now, this was a tax that was mandated by the Romans who were governing Israel. So Israel had been conquered by the Roman Empire, so they had to pay a tax to the Roman Empire, which the Jews absolutely hated. They despised the Romans because they uh, ruled over them. And in these saying, is it right to pay this tax? Because some uh, Jews at that time were trying to avoid it. They didn't want to uh, supplement this empire. Is it right to pay this tax or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. So they brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, go give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Now, the religious leaders viewed money based on its worth. Their goal was to have more of it. The more they had, the better and happier they thought they would be. Money had a hold on them. They had a scarcity mindset. Jesus, though, viewed it based on its weight. If money doesn't own you, give to Caesar. Give to God. It's an abundance mindset. The challenge is it's really hard not to love money. Can we be honest? It's difficult not to love money. Like, money lets us buy stuff. And I know the saying says uh, that money can't buy happiness. Maybe, maybe that's true. But money can buy a lot of stuff that will make you happy. Am I right? Like, if someone dropped a million dollars in your bank account today, you would be a little happier than you were yesterday. Is is that right? Money money can buy some things that make you happy. And money can be a really wonderful thing. 
And while money is a wonderful servant, it's a horrible master. The Apostle Paul actually warned young Timothy uh, in his first letter to Timothy, what we know today as the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, Paul wrote this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What he's saying, he's saying, young Timothy, if you get obsessed with money, you're going to find yourself making some really poor choices. Do you know this happens in the church? It can happen for pastors even. That if we become obsessed about money, we can run ourselves off the rails. Today we're talking about money. Can I be honest with you? One of the things that anytime we're talking about money, it's in scripture, the Bible talks a lot about it and I think it's important to talk about even the hard things we should talk about. But as a pastor, I always want to examine my heart. My motive is not for you to give money to this church. I, I really, really, it de- genuinely is not. My heart for you as we talk about this is that you would be a generous person anywhere you are at work, at home, at church, wherever. We should be generous. And that's a way of life. That's not an action. That's not a step. That's not a practice. It's a way of life. This is what Paul is challenging Timothy with. The question is, how do we overcome this tendency to be owned by our money? How do we break the hold it can have on us? How do we not become obsessed with its worth? How do we make the shift to view money based on its weight instead of its worth? Well, the Bible provides a really practical way to make that shift. Before I share that, though, I want to share with you just a brief story. Um, if you don't know this, I grew up as a pastor's kid. My dad pastored in Latrobe, not too far from here. And uh, one of the incredible privileges we had as pastor, a pastor's family is missionaries would stay in our house. Now, uh, you get the opportunity to hear missionaries stand on platforms like this and share remarkable stories of what God is doing. Men and women who are really heroes of the faith. I had the opportunity, an incredible privilege, to be able to sit in my living room and listen to those same stories. And can I tell you, sitting in that kind of a space with the vulnerability and authenticity that these men and women carry, it's even more incredible. They're not fake, they're not one way here and different. No, it's even more incredible. In one particular time, we had a missionary family staying with us who were speaking at our church, and they had a child. And uh, because they were traveling, you know, they couldn't bring toys and all that stuff with them in their car. So I was willingly letting, you know, their son play with my toys and my stuff because I knew they're going to leave. And also, you know, he's a missionary's kid. I want to I help him out. And so he's playing with my stuff. And, and as he's playing with my stuff and my toys and all that, he, he started to take an interest in this one thing I owned. It was a record. Now, some of you are like, you are too old. How, how can you, what are records? Records are like really big CDs. <laughs> if you know what a CD is, you're already old, but that you put on a record player and it plays, and it's made of vinyl. It's black. Sounds really crazy, I know. But you can play music on them, okay? This is like the precursor to Spotify. Um, and I had this record, and it was for bullfrogs and butterflies. Some of you have no idea what that is. You can Google it later. It's awesome. You'll listen to it the rest of your life. It's so good. It was my favorite record, Bullfrogs and Butterflies. This missionary's kid liked it. And, and I felt in my little heart, God kind of prompted me to give him my record. And in my own young way, I had this whole argument with God. Like, God, absolutely not. How, how could you, this is my record. You blessed me with this record. If you want him to have the record, bless him with a record. 
you're big enough, you can do this. But God just kept putting it in my heart. And as the family was leaving our house, after staying there, I walked into our dining room, and I grabbed that record, and I gave it to that missionary's kid. Now, to kind of give you an update on the story, I have had no reunions with my record. I have never seen it since. And I do not know what happened with it. Don't know where it went. Don't know what transpired. Not quite sure how they listened to the record in their car. But maybe they had a, maybe they had a fancy one. But that's beside the point. This was a really important uh, thing. But I learned an important lesson that day that we see throughout Scripture. And it's this. The best way to break the hold money has on us is to give it away. The best way to break the hold the money has on us is to give it away. Now, I know some of you are saying that's incredibly irresponsible. Nick, you're talking about a little kid's record. What about the money I earn and work my butt off to earn? That's totally unrealistic. Are you expecting me to give all my money away? No, I'm not, and God isn't asking that either. When, when, but when you view money based on its worth, the greatest tragedy is giving any of it away. When it's simply based on worth, Giving it away sounds like the worst possible thing you could do. But when you, break, when you break its hold on you, when you realize it doesn't own you, giving it some of it away doesn't destroy you. It actually excites you and empowers you. And here's the principle we see throughout Scripture. And it's one that Jesus affirmed himself. It's this crazy concept called tithing. Tithing. Now, I know that's, a, that's an evil word for some of you who have grown up in church, have been around church, like, oh, stink, I came the wrong week, I should not have come today, um, what was I thinking? Just stick with me here. This principle is both in the Old and New Testaments. It's meant to keep us, uh, keep what we own from ultimately owning us. And the word tithe literally means a tenth of. And it's the practice of giving your first 10% to God as an act of worship and of gratitude and of trust. God shares in the first few books of the Bible this idea of a tithe in Numbers 18, verse 26. It says, speak to the Levites and say to them, when you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. The Levites were the priests, and, and they were saying, when, when the people of Israel bring these offerings to you, give a tenth of it back to me. That was their means of living. And he was saying, give a tenth back. Why? And he goes on. Later in Proverbs, God explains the practice of it in in Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, meaning you give it first, not like afterthought. I've heard someone say, you know, tithing is one idea. God God wants a tithe, not a tip, not like an afterthought. Uh, With the first fruits of your crops. And he goes on, verse 10. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Meaning as you... Recognize that you can be a blessing. God blesses you. This isn't a means to an end. This isn't like a get-rich-quick scheme, like just give to God and you're going to get rich. No, not at all. You're going to make the world rich. And you will be enriched through the process. In other words, if you give God your first and your best, God will bless the rest. If you can give God your first and your best, God will bless the rest. Uh, Jesus later affirms this idea in his rebuke of the religious leaders. Jesus loved to rebuke the religious leaders. Uh, Read the Gospels. He was really good at rebuking the religious people and calling them out. Here's what he said, verse 23 of Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He said you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So you might be wondering, 
Is this just another one of those religious things that gets unreasonably dumped on me and we get shamed into doing? Absolutely not. Not at all. In fact, Paul encourages the church in Corinth with this idea that it's not just about how much you give, but why you give. Because really, God views money not by its worth, but its weight. Here's what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. He said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Listen to this, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, tithing isn't about an obligation. It's not about a religious practice or becoming more holier than the people next to you. Tithing is about putting money in its place. It's not something that brings value to the stuff you own necessarily. It brings value to the world around you. It's something you invest to further God's purposes in our world. And tithing is a very practical way to really accomplish two things. One, to push yourself to practice gratitude for what God's given you. It's saying, God, you have, I, I know we work hard for what we have in our bank account. But God, you have opened the doors, given me the talents and the skills and the opportunities to make a living. And it's saying, God, I give back to you the first 10% to say thank you. But secondly, it's intentionally sending your life around God. Because when you give your first 10%, whether you want to or not, everything else gets centered around that. Like giving $5 doesn't really alter your life so much. But 10% causes you to prioritize every dollar and be more intentional with what you do have, that 90%, and how you use it. It's because tithing forces the conversation about your money's weight, not just its worth. As the worship team comes today, I, I know just saying the word money can make some of you cringe. Maybe you feel uncomfortable. But this principle is in Scripture because God is more concerned about the condition of your heart than the condition of your bank account. Now, that doesn't mean that God's asking you to be careless or, or, or in any way be irresponsible and just blow your money and zero out your bank account. I'm not going to dive into it today, but throughout Scripture, there are some incredibly valuable principles for managing your money and making the most with what you have. But the starting point for all of that is breaking the hold that money can have on us by tithing. Now, my hope for all of us today isn't necessarily that, that you start tithing 10%. Because we're all at different places on this. How can we kill the hold money can have on us? Let's try to start to give some of it away. And if, if you never gave, give back to God anything, maybe start with 1% and see how that goes. If you're giving a fixed amount like $25 or $50 every so often, try working toward a percentage to stick with it. Some of you, maybe you tithe 10%. That's awesome. What would it look like to stretch yourself and try 11% or 12%? What if rather than being faithful givers, what if we could be known as extravagant givers? And here, here's, here's why we talk about this. This is why this is one of our values. Not because we need money as a church. In fact, when I'm talking about being generous, don't give any of it to the church. Give it somewhere else. I, I want to break the hold that money has on us because as Americans, it has a deep hold on us. That our worth, value, our our attitude, our emotions are tied to where that money is. How much is in our bank account or how much stuff we can buy or what we can buy. But God wants us to be separate from that. That we recognize money is just a tool that God uses 
to bless and we could be a conduit of that. My hope for you isn't that you just be obedient with some religious practice. As I mentioned before, it's nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with your heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What if we here at Calvary, what if, what if we could be the most generous people in our communities, in our region? What if when people looked at us, they didn't see these stingy Christians that try to hoard everything and give 50 cent tips at the restaurant or, or uh, look down on people who maybe need something? What if when people saw us, what if, what if they said, those are some of the most generous and giving people I have ever met in the face of the earth? Like, where does it say that in the Bible that we're supposed to be that? There's this little verse in the Bible. You may have heard of it. It's called John 3.16. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's not that well known, but John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world, some of you could finish it, that he what? He gave. Wow. God loved the world so much. And what was his action? He gave. God loved the world so much. People that hated him. People that still hate him. We, we all know, maybe you're one of those. You hate God deeply. You're angry at him. Yet he still loves you. And he loved you so much, he didn't just stop at the words. He did something about it. He gave. He was generous. You could say he bankrupt heaven by sending his son, his beloved, to earth to die on the cross as we remember and celebrate in communion today. We are following his example. My challenge to you today is we're walking into this year. We're, we're one quarter through the year. We're starting a new quarter. What if you tried to stretch yourself a little bit and say, you know this stuff that I read in the Bible? I believe it. Well, let's put some rubber to the road here. If you get 10 of these, try giving the first one to God. I know, we talked about it earlier. It's not worth what it used to be. But if you have 10 of these, $10 bills, for every 10 of these, give one to God. Try it. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, going to revolutionize your life and you're going to be driving, you know, f- purchasing a yacht by June. What I am saying is God honors those who tie, those who put him first. I promise you, I've watched it in my own life. I've watched it in our church. This has absolutely nothing to do with our church. This has everything to do with your walk with Jesus. Why? Because we're talking about becoming more like Jesus. And if we're going to be more like Jesus, it's not just what we do on Sunday. It should filter its way through every layer of our life, our attitudes, our words, our finances, our actions, our responses, our work life, our school life, our home life, our neighborhood life, our community life. It should affect every part of us. If we truly believe that Jesus is at the center, let's put our money where our mouth is. Practice it. I'm not going to give a hard sell that you have to give money to the church. That's not what I'm here for. I want you to be generous people. I love getting to walk through our community and work with community leaders and different organizations and who see our church as being a generous church. That's awesome. I don't want you to hide behind that because you can easily hide behind that. You can sit in a pew or watch online and be like, that's my church. I love how generous my church is and, and never give a dollar. Let's not hide, but let's lead the way. In your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, when someone's collecting money for their daughter's dance team, give 20 bucks. 
If everyone's given 20 bucks, give 50 bucks. Be the generous people. Lead the way. If, if, if you see a need in our community, they're collecting money for someone who lost their home because their house burnt down, give 100 bucks. Lead the way. That's what God's called us to do, not just as a church, but as individuals. Lead your family. Lead your workplace. Lead your school. You be the generous one. The generous one steps forward first. Why? Because we give, we give our first and our best, and God blesses the rest. God's called us to be generous people. God's not called us to be stingy and to hoard what we have. If you've learned anything for however long you've been connected here to Calvary, we will push our resources to the edge to make sure that we can let people know that God loves them and care about them. Whether it's the shelters across Pittsburgh, whether it's helping uh, a, a project we're doing, Calvary Cares, uh, in the Middle East, wh- wh- whether it's a missionary in Ukraine, we will push our resources to the edge. Why? Because it's not about the money. Money has no worth. It's simply, our money, money isn't about how much we can gather or earn or, or, or collect or, or, or we're smart with it. We, you know, we don't misuse it or anything like that. We have uh, things in place to make sure that we are going above and beyond to make sure we're careful for sure. But money is a tool God has given us that we can be a blessing and let people know that God loves them. Would you join me in investing what God has given us and seeing God do more with our resources than we could ever do on our own. Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you for all that you're doing. I thank you for the blessing that you have poured out to us, Lord. Lord, just as we sit here right now, those watching in shelters across Pittsburgh or online, God, as we sit here right now, we are already in the top 10% wealthiest people in the world right now, as we sit. No matter how much money is in our bank account, Sitting here in America, we've already found ourselves so blessed beyond what we deserve. That there are friends and folks all over the world that would give anything for even a a day with our environment, circumstances, and resources that are available to us. God, I pray you would help us to take the blessings you have given us and to be a blessing to others. God, to not hoard it, not become obsessed with how much we can gather or or earn, but God, to, to shift and to allow our passion to be about how much can we give? How generous can we be? How can we take what you've blessed us with and be an even greater blessing to those around us? God, help us to have the hard conversations with spouse or a loved one about this idea of tithing and centering our finances around you. I know it's a challenge and it's difficult, but God, you've called us to the challenging things, the countercultural things. God, be glorified, not just through our words, not just through our actions, not just through our attitudes and emotions. Be glorified even through our finances. Lord, you're so good. You're so gracious to us. We give everything to you today, our lives, the things that we hold on to and hoard. We surrender to you today. Lord, that you could have your way through us. In Jesus' name. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. 
On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.